0: From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Seren. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, come warm yourself by the fire. You are among friends. Uh, Victor Vigiani is the Executive Director of Zeland News Network. He is here, and we'll speak to him in just a moment. And Kathleen Marden... Uh, Also standing by on the phone, uh, she is a leading UFO researcher and author and the niece of Betty and Barney Hill, uh, the principals involved in unquestionably the most famous alien abduction case in history. Uh, We'll talk about that, and uh, she's done a tremendous amount of uh, research into the abduction phenomena. So we'll get to all of that in just a moment. Uh, Albert Vinzel, of course, is here running our HOA, our Hangout on Air, and if you want to stream this radio extravaganza live on YouTube, just go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, at Richard Serrett, S as in Simon, Y, because I love you, T, at Richard Serrett, and go to the top or near the top of the Twitter feed, and there you'll find the HOA link in great big... BOLD CAPS, H-O-A. Just click on it, and you're in. And you can see me and Victor uh, here in studio, and you might even catch a glimpse of Albert uh, occasionally. Uh, while you're on uh, the website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, please go to the live events page. Uh, because on Sunday, April the 17th, I'm bringing Pulitzer Prize nominee, Nobel Prize nominee, Daniel Estulin best-selling author of The True Story of the Bilderbergs, bringing Daniel to the uh, University of Toronto for an exclusive event called The Bilderbergs. And uh, you'll get to see the Canadian premiere of his new documentary film, Bilderberg, the movie. And then following the film, uh, Daniel will give a 90-minute presentation on the Bilderbergs, uh, which will include a question-and-answer period, and then that will all be followed by a book signing. So... That's the Bilderbergs, Sunday, April the 17th. That's a Strange Planet production, and tickets are available online at the website, strangeplanet.ca. Go to the live events page. Uh, But you can also buy the tickets in-store at Conspiracy Culture, uh, over the phone or online. Uh, So for more information, go to conspiracyculture.com. Now, uh, we lost Edgar Mitchell a few days ago. The sixth man to walk on the moon, and he was, he just, he passed, uh, it was virtually on the eve of the 45th anniversary of the Apollo 14 mission. And Mitchell, uh, uh, needless to say, was one of the most outspoken, if not the most outspoken, of all of the Apollo astronauts in terms of UFOs and ETs and, uh, uh, disclosure and so forth. And Edgar, of course, was very involved in, in, um, In the disclosure movement, 85 uh, passed away after what I understand was a fairly lengthy illness at a hospice uh, in in southwest Florida. So let me uh, first grab a a quick reaction on the passing of Edgar Mitchell here from Victor Vigiani, but uh, let me introduce Victor first. He is, of course, a regular contributor to The Conspiracy Show, one of Canada's leading ufologists and UFO ET disclosure advocates, He's the director of Zeland News Network, a news service dedicated to the compilation, distribution, and analysis of news relating to the UFO ET phenomenon. Victor, welcome once again. How are you, my friend?
1: As always, just great to be here. Just uh, fantastic. All right. The the, uh, the passing of, yeah. uh, of Edgar Mitchell. Yeah. A sad day. A sad day. Um, it, there's really no words you can actually put to it because the... The, the, the fellow was a very um, a very demanding individual I, I I knew him, spoke to him, and he was the kind of person who uh, really meant what he said. I mean, there was no pulling at punches with edgar ever he didn't, never didn 't suffer fools lately not a lot he said if you, if you want to talk to me, make sure it 's worth my while you know kind of thing uh, very very much so all the uh, you know well, and why was
0: that was that because in later years, he was maybe sort of the mistreatment he received yeah. from the
1: mainstream media beaten down that's right and and also to of nasa the, the, the lawsuit that he was involved with uh, with nasa that also really beat him down because a he lot. was he was gifted nasa gave him
0: the camera that that's he right. took
1: to the moon mm-hmm. and then
0: he gifted that to the smithsonian and
1: mm-hmm. i believe he also gave a moon rock that's correct to the smithsonian yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. and they they sued him that's right <laughs>
1: What, what kind of, what kind of, uh, that's, it's amazing. In any case, he was a man that I think, in my estimation, really made certain issues come to the forefront. You know, regardless of, of, of what he's saying, how he's saying it, you've got to ask yourself the question, why would a man jeopardize his, his entire career to come out and say some of, only some of the things that he did, he did say about the extraterrestrial presence? I mean, he, he had to have a reason for it. This is not just someone spouting off he had a good reason to talk about it and the question is why? And will that message be, you know, taken any further in, in terms of where he got the information from and what importance he attached to things like consciousness? He was into a lot of that towards the end of his end of his life. The whole development of the, the telepathic nature of who we are as beings, that right. kind of thing. Right. So he he moved on from just the basic tenets of the, the UFOET issue, he moved forward. And I think that was a big step, too, um, in him being recognized as somebody. Let's give this all just a little bit of thought here. You know,
0: I'm wondering,
1: maybe hoping, mm-hmm. uh, that
0: there may be more coming from Edgar Mitchell, perhaps from the grave. Do you think it's possible there are some unreleased memoirs out there where he will leave us with a little something more? I mean, he, he certainly left a mm-hmm. lot on the table. Mm-hmm. He, he, you know, yeah, he, sure. he talked a lot about the issue, but I'm, I'm guessing that he probably held some things back. Mm-hmm.
1: I wouldn't be surprised at all. Uh, so, some of the meetings that he's, that he's uh, alleged to have attended with, uh, you know, senior people in, in, in Congress and even in the Pentagon, he's reported to have met with people in the Pentagon. Now, I don't know how anyone could completely substantiate that, but... Um, that was one of the issues that was raised, but who he met with. So you either cast doubt on it or you look forward as to what it might have been, You know what issues are being raised by that meeting, if any. So um, it all begs the question that it's something that we have to talk about, we have to bring forward and not sort of keep in the the bottom drawer. And that's that's what he was doing. He was really making you table these issues in rational conversation rather than saying, no, you can't talk about that anymore or at all.
0: Definitely the um, the Disclosure Movement has lost a very credible um, yeah. voice and a real pillar. Yeah. Uh, we should also mention, before we welcome Kathleen Martin to the program, the Alien Cosmic Expo, which is uh, happening in my old stomping grounds, uh, Brantford, Ontario, this coming June. And... Um, um, you were kind enough to uh, ask me to participate along with uh, the event organizer, the ACE organizer, mm-hmm. Joanne Eadie. Uh, just to tell, tell people a little bit about uh, the Alien Cosmic Expo coming up.
1: Well, myself and uh, a colleague, Bob Mitchell, uh, we are handling the Saturday part of the of that weekend. Uh, the Friday part of it is for uh, experiencers. There's going to be a number of uh, guests come to the to the conference, and um, not present necessarily, but just be there to have an interchange of people who want to talk to them about. It. It's not really speeches or presentations. It's just people who have uh, had abduction experiences coming together just to say, you know, let's just chat. Kind of, there's going to be a dinner and all of that. So it's it's going to be a, a rather informal event. And then the Saturday, uh, Bob Mitchell and I are trying to put together a journalist panel to uh, throw questions at probably five or six of the most influential uh, UFO advocates on the planet. I'll say that again, on the planet. So um, that thing on the Saturday is going to be a very, very important part of trying to get at journalism in taking some commitment to look at this issue from whatever perspective they want it.
0: You're trying to almost uh, mirror the, the citizens' hearings that took place in Washington, but instead of former members of Congress, you will have members of the press. Precisely. Uh, and then they will have access to ask questions to people like Richard Dolan and Daniel Sheehan, uh, and as you say, yeah. some of the, the top... Paul hellier Paul Hellyer. And, and
1: I will be moderating. That's right, Yes. So we're trying to set up a situation where um, I don't know if anyone uh, can, you know, say that they've seen all the system hearings panels, but if you get a glimpse of, let's say, three or four minutes of of how they handle the format of it, it was brilliant. It was it was historical. It's great footage, and what we're trying to do is replicate that. And we make no apologies for that at all. We're doing this with journalists now, who we feel have access to conduits of information that politicians don't have. And that's I think one of the things that did not happen as a result of the uh, the citizen hearings. It didn't go full force. So what's the next step? People who are into, who are into information, who have a skeptical notion about what this is all. But we don't want any believers on this panel. We don't. We want people to to say no. This, right. I, I I'm not buying this. Convince me. Right. So that's who we want to show up and 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 ask the questions. So they'll be confronted by, or at least uh, brought along with. As you said, uh, probably the, the this five or six leading experts on the planet with respect to every single issue across the board from missile shutdowns to sightings to documents, you name it. They'll have it covered especially uh, with Danny Sheehan and the Vatican information that's coming forward from him out of the University of, uh, uh, I believe it's California, Berkeley. Right, right. Yeah, big news there.
0: All right, so that's the Alien Cosmic Expo. That's June 24th, 25th, 26th, uh, 2016. AlienCosmicExpo.com is the website, and that's being held at the Best Western uh, Brant Park Inn in uh, Brantford, Ontario. Beautiful town. Hope to see you all out there. All right, uh, let's get to the, uh, the main entree, shall we? Kathleen Martin is a leading UFO and abduction researcher, author, lecturer, Her educational background in the social sciences has shaped her interest in scientific ufology. Extensive research and investigation into alien abduction has convinced her that some abductions are real. She earned a BA degree in social work from the University of New Hampshire and participated in graduate studies in education while working as a teacher and education services coordinator. Her scholarship led to acceptance into the Alpha Kappa Delta Sociology Honor Society. During her 15 years as an educator, she innovated, designed, and implemented model educational programs. She's also had a supervisory position coordinating, training, and evaluating education staff. Her interest in UFOs de- dates back to September 20, 1961, when her aunt, Betty Hill, phoned her childhood home to report that she and Barney had encountered a flying saucer in New Hampshire's White Mountains. A primary witness to the evidence of the UFO encounter and the aftermath, Kathleen has intimate knowledge of the Hill's biographical histories, investigation files, and scientific interest in their sensational experience. This led to a journey of exploration, leaving no stone unturned. To find answers through scholarly work, investigation, and social research, she is recognized as the world's leading expert, on the Betty and Barney Hill abduction. She's written three books, Captured, The Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience, and Science Was Wrong, with nuclear physicist, scientific ufologist, Stanton T. Friedman, and The Alien Abduction Files with Denise Stoner. In addition to this, her essays have been published in several ad- additional books, and in 2012, she spearheaded an extensive research project with Denise Stoner to identify little-known commonalities among experiencers. She's currently working on two research projects, MUFON's Experiencer Survey and Freeze Experiencer Questionnaire. Kathleen Martin, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you?
2: Thank you, and great to be with you this evening. I'm doing well.
0: Excellent. And say hello to uh, Victor Vigiani here in studio as well. Hello, Victor. Hello, hello,
1: Kathleen. Great to have you with
0: us.
2: Thanks.
0: Well, Kathleen, I've, I've just um, managed to introduce you in time to, uh, to head into a break here, so uh, apologies for that, but I wanted to, to get you on the air. Say hello. Looking forward to this conversation immensely. And, and when we come back, we'll, uh, we'll talk about Betty and Barney. Are you good for that? I am. All right. You stand by, Kathleen. Victor, as well. My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Welcome back. Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network is in studio. And joining us on the phone is Kathleen Marden, uh, the niece of Betty and Barney Hill, the unquestionably the most famous alien abduction case in history, going back to uh, well, September nineteenth through uh, well, two days uh, back in nineteen sixty-one, starting on September the nineteenth. And um, uh, Kathleen, again, welcome to the program. And sorry, we um, I interrupted, uh, introduced you, and then we had to break away. But here we are. Time is tight. Um, Let's just give people a, a, a very quick, for those hard to believe there may be some that don't know about Betty and Barney Hill, just a real quick timeline. Um, rural New Hampshire, September of 1961, um, what, what, what happened?
2: Betty and Barney Hill were returning home from a short vacation to Niagara Falls in Montreal. They were driving at night when uh, they had a close encounter with a UFO. It came so close that Barney had to stop the car. Uh, it was hovering directly above them, over the road, descending to within about a 100 feet of their vehicle. He got out of the car, and when he did, the craft um, shifted location to an adjacent field. He walked toward it, looked up at it, through binoculars, and observed Figures That he had conscious, continuous recall of, and he said that they were somehow not human. He was so frightened, so startled by all of this that he ran back to the car screaming to my aunt that they had to get out of there. Uh, The craft followed him back. He was speeding down the highway. There were buzzing sounds bouncing off the trunk of the vehicle that caused the car to vibrate, and a tingling sensation to pass through their bodies. The next thing they knew, they were 35 miles down the road. They felt as if only a moment had passed. They had vague memories of observing a fiery orb in the road and a roadblock somewhere. They didn't know when or where it occurred. They drove on home, and when they arrived, they found that the tops of Barney's best dress shoes were so deeply scraped, he had to buy new shoes. Betty's dress was torn in several locations. There was a two-inch tear at the top of the zipper in the zipper fabric, a t- one-inch tear in the thick zipper fabric. A uh, The hem was torn down on one side. The lining was torn from waist to hemline. There were shiny spots on the trunk of the car that caused a compass to... Spin and spin, indicating that there was a magnetic field around the trunk of the car. The watches they were wearing that night never ran again. My aunt and uncle were distressed. She was curious. My uncle was more distressed than Betty because he had observed these nonhumans. He uh, was very fearful that he was going to be captured. And eventually uh, he, his health deteriorated uh, he ended up taking a leave of absence from his job at the post office, and that is when he began to see a psychiatrist uh, who believed that he had made a very good adjustment to his life in New Hampshire. He didn't seem to have a lot of problems there. The problems seemed to revolve around the sighting and the amnesia, apparently, that he had uh, related to this. And he referred him to Dr. Benjamin Simon, who was a renowned psychiatrist in Boston, Massachusetts. Ben Simon had worked during World War II with veterans who were returning from the front, who were suffering from what we now call post-traumatic stress disorder. He was very successful in treating them through deep trance hypnosis, and this is what he used with Barney. Betty also went along for that office visit and indicated that she would like to be hypnotized because she also did not have memories, although she did not suffer the level of trauma that Barney did. Dr. Simon hypnotized the two of them separately over a period of six months. He reinstated amnesia at the end of each session and in the end he let them listen to the hypnosis tapes as they were, were, walked worked through the emotional trauma that they had experienced. And in the end, they both relived the same experience of being abducted by these nonhumans that Barney had observed in that field, only it was several miles down the road. They were given very strange physical examinations and then released essentially unharmed except for the emotional trauma.
0: And at, at what point did was it was it your aunt that called and talked to you at at, at a certain point? When did you first hear about it? Did you speak to her?
2: Um, I spoke to her within two days. Two days. My aunt okay. Betty called my mother. Right. I was thirteen years old. I had arrived home from school in the afternoon. This was on the afternoon of September twentieth. Um, the uh, observation of the UFO occurred at a a little before midnight on September 19th. The abduction was a little after midnight on the 20th. They then drove home, and uh, Betty phoned my mother uh, because she was very concerned about uh, possible exposure to radiation. And we had a neighbor who was a physicist. Betty wanted some information about what Uh, she and Barney should do. They had taken long showers. They had left uh, the food they were carrying and their clothing out on the porch. They just didn't know what to do, and so they wanted some advice. That is when I first heard about this story, but my family traveled to Betty's and Barney's home a couple of days later, and that's when I had the opportunity to uh, uh, observe some of the physical evidence uh, including the shiny spots on the trunk of their vehicle.
0: Alright, I'm going to turn uh, over to my colleague uh, Victor Vigiani. Go ahead, Victor.
1: Yes, great to have you with us, Kathleen. Uh, Just a question about the dress. Um, It sort of fascinates me in in the area of I guess you would call it forensics, uh, I I guess for lack of a better word, in in the sense that there was a substance on the dress or that it was ripped in a certain way and that this substance had some effect on the the fabric of the dress that it eventually turned it into a rag of sorts. Uh, Was there any forensic information about that rather strange case? I mean, where Else would she get something like that from? It just, it's just very bizarre.
2: Yes, it, it was highly unusual. Uh, the, the dress um, developed a pink powdery substance that seemed to grow on the dress. Betty had placed it in her closet knowing that it had to be repaired. The next time she took it out, it was covered with this pink powdery substance. She took it out, she hung it on her clothesline, and the pink powder blew away. But uh, then she took it inside and realized that the dress had been reduced to a rag, she considered throwing it into the trash, decided not to do that because she thought that perhaps one day scientists would be able to identify what that pink powder was. Now, the first analysis was done in 1972 at the University of Cincinnati. They um, used a number of different methods uh, in the chemistry department to try to create that pink appearance, uh, to uh, examine uh, chemically exactly what the pink powder was. They were unsuccessful in doing that, but they felt that it was uh, highly unusual uh, for it to be on the dress. Those are the same findings that have been found over and over again among the five lab- uh, laboratories that have analyzed Betty's dress. And there was one uh, seed soil assay uh, test that was done, and what they did in that is they ground up uh, pieces of Betty's dress, some with the pink powder, some on the part of the dress that was still blue, and uh, they soaked that in uh, beakers of water, or vials of water, the pink in one, the blue in the other, and then plain water. They watered seedlings uh, with that. And what they ended up discovering is that the seedlings that were watered with the dress that the pink powdery substance had been soaked in uh, grew at an extraordinarily fast rate. So everyone says that there is something highly unusual about that pink powdery substance. No one has ever been able to identify what it is. There's speculation that it might be uh, a yeast or a fungus that deposited on the dress and fed off whatever uh, might have landed on her dress inside that spacecraft. That mm-hmm. she was on.
1: Yeah. What about, um, the, the, the contrasting levels of information here are fascinating. There's, there, there's the whole forensic idea that, that's behind what you've uh, just described to us. But there's also another factor here, and you indicate in some of your studies that the telepathic abilities of certain people who are taken, um, are recognized in a certain way, or there seems to be a telepathic component as to how they're being communicated with and to. Um, in contrast to the forensic stuff, how does that telepathic thing happen? What's going on there?
2: All I can say is that uh, the vast majority of experiencers have said that uh, in, in the, the quantitative analysis that Denise Stoner and I did, that uh, communication ab- aboard the craft with these non-human entities uh, was telepathic in nature that Betty and Barney actually described that to Dr. Simon uh, separately under hypnosis. And what they had to say about it was that, uh, well, Barney had his eyes closed, and he said that to him it seemed like someone uh, was speaking to him, uh, but uh, his eyes were closed. Betty said that... Uh, he, she sort of had that effect, but there was no movement of the mouth when this was occurring.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Kathleen, the the hypnosis sessions. Um, I mean, how much of that information were you privy to? Uh, and, in other words, how much were they, Betty and Barney, talking to you and the rest of the family about what was divulged in the hypnosis sessions, or did that? Come out much later, after let's say the Boston Traveler article in '65, when when the publicity around this case really started to kick into high gear.
2: When Betty and Barney were being permitted to recall uh, what they had stated under hypnosis uh, in Dr. Simon's office, and this would have been late spring, early summer of 1964 they would stop at my grandparents' house on their way home from Boston. And uh, they lived in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Dr. Simon's office was in Boston. And um, on the way home, they would discuss what Dr. Simon had permitted them to remember. I grew up across the street from my grandparents, so I was always there and privy to that information but I knew that I was not permitted to tell anyone else. This was a secret that had to be retained within the family uh, because of the consequences to Betty and Barney if it were released to the public. They were active in community affairs. Uh, Barney was uh, uh, appointed to the state of New Hampshire's U.S. Civil Rights Commission's uh, state, state advisory committee, She was a social worker in the States. So there would have been uh, social and economic consequences if this story ever came out. But I was privy to that. And then in 1996, Betty actually gave me a copy of the hypnosis tapes for comparative analysis. I wanted to line up Betty's statements against Barney's statements. Uh, I wanted to study their communication style uh, their, the way that they described, uh, things that they saw. And, uh, starting from the beginning of their trip, all the way through, uh, their hypnosis sessions about their abduction, the time that they were on the craft, uh, in order to determine whether or not, uh, this experience of an abduction actually did occur. And, uh, or, if, uh, as Dr. Simon had speculated, Betty was only reliving a dream or a series of dreams she had and that Barney had somehow absorbed the information from those dreams and had repeated it only to a lesser degree. Uh, very interesting, but I discovered that Betty and Barney independently made correlating statements that were not in Betty's dreams.
0: Ah, interesting. this
2: occurred many times. It's in the book, Captured, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience. And uh, so that is what convinced me that it probably was a real abduction.
0: All right, we'll take a time out. We'll come back and continue to discuss the Betty and Barney Hill abduction case with Kathleen Martin and Victor Vigiani. Back with more. Stay with us. In a democracy... We elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416 360 0740 or toll free at 1 866 740 4740. Welcome back. Kathleen Marden on the phone. Her website, Kathleen with a K, Kathleen-marden, M-A-R-D-E-N dot com. Kathleen-marden dot com. We're talking about the uh, Betty and Barney Hill abduction case, her aunt and uncle. And uh, Kathleen is the author of Captured, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience. She's also written Science Was Wrong with nuclear physicist, uh, ufologist Stanton Friedman. And The Alien Abduction Files with Denise Stoner. Victor Vigiani in studio from Zeland News Network. Now, I wanted to ask you, Kathleen, so this is 1964. You're a young teenager, maybe 16, and you're hearing this... What, you know, from your your aunt, uh, Betty, what happened, uh, I mean, it's one thing for a teenager to hear that stuff now, because we are immersed in this whole UFO uh, culture. Uh, But this is almost unheard of in 1964, and you're hearing this as a 16-year-old. That must have, I mean, to say the least, totally rocked your world. I mean, just pulled pulled the rug from out under your feet. I mean, how... Do you remember how you reacted when you when you were hearing this for the first time this experience?
2: It was absolutely startling and frightening, but I was fascinated by what I was hearing.
0: Did it you believe incredible. And it was your f- first reaction t- to believe to believe her or to think something else must have gone on? So there must be some other explanation?
2: My reaction was to absolutely believe her. I had no reason to disbelieve what my aunt and uncle were saying. They were honest people. They were curious. They had gone to Dr. Simon in order to find out what had caused uh, the problems that they had had, what had created the physical effects that uh, they had found when they arrived home. And so this was the unraveling of a mystery. It was being solved.
1: So the idea um, that this happened is intriguing to me. Uh, The one thing that really does intrigue me, uh, Kathleen, is all this information. Is this brand new information, things we haven't heard before, ever? Uh, You know, complete revelations? Or or why has it taken so long for some of these incredibly intricate, uh, you know, bits of information you've come forward with? I mean, this is this is hot stuff in terms of what this abduction case really, really means in the long run. How, how come it took so long?
2: <laughs> it absolutely is. And in the first book that was written on the topic was The Interrupted Journey, and it was published in 1966. But uh, back in those days, uh, there, there was a great deal of concern about uh, shocking the public, frightening the public, and so it was written very, very conservatively. Uh, the evidence had not been evaluated at that time. Remember, this was the first abduction that ever occurred. Uh, and not a, a lot of weight was placed upon any of this mm-hmm. physical. Evidence at this time
1: do you, do you think and, there's a, a, a component here, and you've probably done just as much work on this as I have, if not more, but this whole idea of this experience being familial in terms of mother and daughter or you know father and son it, it does run in families if I could use that that rather inadequate term.
2: Yes, yes, you're absolutely correct that uh, my research has borne that out as well. Uh, and I remember years ago when Dr. James Harder, that might be a familiar name to you, he uh, worked with uh, APRO. He was um, a civil engineering professor at um University of California at Berkeley and had worked with many of the early experiencers and was out working with Betty and uh, had met the entire family and that was one of the questions that he had for us if we had had this type of experience as well as if we had observed ufos as well
1: You know, it just it just fascinates me that uh, the long chronology of all this is is um, sort of coming to almost reinvent the whole experience because uh, some of the information has come forward recently in terms of people kind of wanting their own gratification about this issue and having gone through something and they're sort of uh, stepping into the limelight. It's been my understanding that most people who have this experience want absolutely no notoriety at all. So, how do you see this new evolution of? of uh, how it's being interpreted publicly?
2: Well, I think that we have two things going on here. We have uh, people who are professional people, people who have uh, good jobs, who uh, are not stepping forward. They uh, are speaking to people like myself uh, under a condition of confidentiality. I've worked with uh, military officers, with airline pilots, with medical doctors. Uh, This uh, spans the population with regard to educational background, economic background, religious beliefs. And uh, so we have that side of it. On the other side, we have uh, the disclosure movement among experiencers who are wanting to step out and to tell the public that they are experiencers. And some of this is problematic. I personally encourage experiencers to go to support groups because it's very, very important to uh, discuss this with others who are having the same experience just for the emotional support of doing so and, and because it's emotionally cleansing.
0: All right, we'll uh, take a timeout, uh, Kathleen. Stay with us. Victor Vigiani in studio as well from Zealand News Network. More on the Betty and Barney Hill abduction when The Conspiracy Show returns. Don't go away. Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Welcome back. Kathleen Martin is with us. Noted UFO researcher, author, the niece of Betty and Barney Hill, the most famous abduction case in history, alien abduction case. Just a, a few more points on some of the physical evidence. I, I did want to ask you, uh, Kathleen, uh, about the star map. And uh, under hypnosis, uh, Simon, I guess, gave Betty this post-hypnotic suggestion that she would be able to sketch this star map that she had described Seeing when she saw it on the ship, I guess it was she described it as being kind of a hologram uh, and um, eventually she was able to to sketch this star map or the star system. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yes, I can um, you are absolutely correct. she did go home and over the next couple of weeks she was able to sketch that uh, it was published in the first book that was written, The Interrupted Journey, and Marjorie Fish, a brilliant woman from Ohio, uh, saw it in the book. She uh, was an amateur astronomer. She was skeptical about it, but she decided to begin to construct models of our local galactic neighborhood out 55 light years to see if she could find a match. Initially, she thought she would find many, and uh, she faced great difficulty in doing this because she had to go to the university and um, use their catalogs at the university. She couldn't check them out. She had to copy the distance data, and then she had to return to her home. Uh, there were no computers then, so uh, no home computers. So she was uh, constructing three-dimensional models using beads of different sizes and colors, uh, to represent different stars and monofilament line. And, uh, in one of these, uh, maps, and, and she did 26 models in all. But in one of these models, she had 253 stars in their proper location in our galaxy. And she still had not found a match. You can imagine how frustrating it must have been to do all of that research and build all of those models and never find a match. But then a new catalog was released and uh, it had different distance data for three of the stars on that map. And she moved them around and then she had a perfect match for the the stars that Betty had sketched.
0: And... Can you tell us a little bit about
2: the star system? Yes. Well, the star system that she thought the uh, ETs had come from was uh, Zeta-1 and Zeta-2 reticuli. Uh, they're in the constellation, the net. Uh, they can be viewed from the southern hemisphere. And uh, they're about uh, 39 and a half light years away from us. Uh, they are fairly close together, but many scientists say that they are still able to, uh, or should be able to, uh, have planets orbiting around them in uh, stable orbit. So uh, very exciting news, if true. Betty's map had uh, a, t- a total of five different lines um, running back and forth between those two stars, and that would indicate that they traveled back and forth to the, each other's system frequently. There were two lines uh, going up to the sun, uh, which would mean that also it was uh, an expedition, a place that they would, would go to on a regular route. There were also dotted lines on, on the map of places that they did not go to as frequently.
1: I wonder if you could uh, comment too it is long before this was an established kind of understanding of what people actually saw as far as beings was concerned. This, this was long before any of our current perceptions were, were in play and uh, i think i 'm not sure which one of them spoke about the description, whether it was uh, uh, Betty or Barney about having black eyes and slits for mouths and no ears and all the typical things that we know of today but What was their feeling of of discovering this for the very first time, or had it ever been reported before?
2: It had not been reported before, and uh, Barney was the one who had the most detailed recall. And I think a lot of that came from the fact that he had actually observed them and had conscious continuous recall for that observation when he saw them on the craft. Um, uh, but also remembered them, they both remembered them, uh, when their car stalled and these beings were standing in the road. And uh, even before hypnosis began, Barney, uh, in what amounted to a great emotional release in my childhood home, as we were uh, attempting to help him to remember what had happened, uh, talking him through, you know, what happened next and what happened next, he stated that they did not walk like humans, that they had very spindly legs and spindly arms. He remembered that part consciously. Then under hypnosis, he remembered that they were uh, kind of an aluminum, bluish, kind of grayish color, Um, no uh, external ear, a very, very tiny bump for a nose, very large eyes, but uh, rather than being entirely black, they could see a little bit of yellow uh, around the outside of the eye, uh, completely hairless heads, uh, were larger in proportion to the bodies than humans are, and uh, just uh, constructed very differently than we are uh they had sort of barrel chests which were uh quite large and round in comparison to the the very thin arms and legs that they had uh barney died in
0: 1969 Uh, i believe it was a brain aneurysm yes uh your aunt lived until 2004 lived to a a ripe old age Um, now, Barney would have passed away before you know again I talked about the the um, this uFO culture uh, that we are now immersed in uh, in popular culture, uh, but Betty certainly lived long enough to see that and i 'm wondering towards the end of her life when you talk to her, how she then i guess through the prism of the pop culture interpretation of the whole uFO abduction ets the x files um I and mean, how she saw her own abduction uh, a case through that prism.
2: Betty uh, felt very pleased that uh, she had had the opportunity to, to meet what she called astronauts from another planet. However, the stories that she was hearing from so many uh, dozens of experiencers who were coming uh, forward at that time were somewhat different than her own. Uh, she always said, well, she felt that the the individuals that she met were sentient beings, that they were, uh, it was like talking to another human, except for, of course, they're physiologically they were very different, their appearance was different, and the way they communicated was different, but uh, they were not uh, frail little waifs, uh is one thing that she said. And uh, she she was highly skeptical about some of the claims that were being made. And I think that a lot of it had to do with her knowledge of science, and somehow she couldn't get beyond the idea that these uh, beings were able to travel to this planet. but But for some reason, she thought that they should have been... Um, stuck in 20th century uh, technology in terms of their uh, ability, for example, to move human beings. She said that uh, anyone uh, who claimed to have been passed through a solid surface, such as a ceiling or a window, as as so many experiencers uh, say has happened, uh, she did not believe any of this.
0: Well, that's she interesting. Said if
2: anybody said to her that that happened to them, she'd ask them for the re- cost of the repair in the ceiling. <laughs> All
1: right. One last quick uh, question from you, Victor. I, I just It just fascinates me once again. Would they have any kind of, um, uh, I guess, barometer by which to kind of compare this experience? Um, I think you and I both know, and we've done enough work in this area, that very rarely does, does anyone or even two people at a time get abducted, only once, if I could use the crass term. Uh, it's a multiple set of experiences from what I have understand, or is that just sort of, uh, this is a sort of one-off kind of case?
2: Very few people are abducted only one time. And I do not believe that Betty was abducted only one time. Mm-hmm. As she said, um, I have uh, quite thoroughly gone through all of her files as the trustee of her estate and um and uh, also for material for that I used to to write the book captured the Betty and Barney Hill UFO experience and I have found uh, many instances where I suspect that Betty was actually taken again and in one of those for example she and um her friend were returning home from a visit to my grandparents' house. And uh, there was a UFO that came down. It uh, was flying beside their vehicle, and then uh, it flew over the top. And Betty, in her memoirs, wrote that they could feel the car lift up into the air. And then they realized it was being uh, put back down on the ground, maybe three or four miles ahead of where they had been at that time. and uh, But she was not willing to entertain the idea that she was ever taken more than one time.
0: Wow. Uh, Kathleen Martin, I want to thank you for uh, for joining us tonight. Um, a very uh, eye-opening conversation. I appreciate your time. And it's uh, Kathleen-Martin, M A R D kathleen com Thanks again, Kathleen.
2: Pleasure to be with you.
1: Okay. Well Victor, well. well, Victor, what do you make of that? Well, you can't help but wonder all the new information. It's like a new prism is put on the whole situation as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it really, especially with the idea that uh, the familial aspect of it and then the multiple numbers of times that uh, that she said that it could have happened before, or at least once before, it brings a new clarity to the whole situation. It's not just a one-shot deal. Right. And, uh, and thank goodness
0: for all of our sakes mm-hmm. that uh, uh, Betty and Barney reached out to their niece uh, because now uh, she's become this repository for all of this information. Of course, the tapes... And all of Betty's uh, you know, notes and so forth are available uh, at the, uh, the University of New Hampshire, which is very interesting, isn't mm-hmm. it, that, a, mm-hmm. that, an, that an academic institution like that would, would accept... Those kind of files. That, those yeah. kind of files. Wow. Interesting. Yeah.
1: Fascinating case.
0: All right. Uh, my website, strangeplanet.ca. Check it out also. Say hi on Twitter, at Richard Serrett. And as always, follow the truth.